0: What The Footy What The Footy What The Footy What The Footy Hi there, it's Paul and you're listening to What The Footy the football business podcast that goes behind the scenes and gives fans, industry experts athletes, aspiring sports professionals and more unrivaled insight into football, business and how the beautiful game is evolving Here is what I have lined up for you today
1: you have to plan for success and failure and and I think for some teams they just get to the point where they think well you know it, they just don't have it they just don't have it in their mindset that they're going to fail and yeah yeah, yeah, yeah you, you easily could <laughs> you know we all easily could um, and you have to be ready for that. I
0: hope you love it not like it I hope you love it so if you're locked in and listening, Give the pod a follow and a five star review and tell a friend to tell a friend. Let's go. New Samalladis liked me, but I didn't know it was to that Imagine extent. Being a kid in primary school, now it's putting us. Powerful people, and I think they need to recognize that. But then also, they need to be represented the right sport way. Sport in general is nothing without fans. Uh, based on you know one single source of revenue alone, that being the TV. so well in the league, let's just win this to appease the fans. Welcome to the What the Footy podcast, Caramel. Great to have you here today.
1: Oh, it's really, really good to be here. I'm looking forward to it.
0: No, thank you. Um, it's my first time in quite a while actually doing a face-to-face podcast episode. So they're
1: better, aren't they? Yeah,
0: I try not to be too rusty, but no, it's good to. No, thank you for inviting me down. Really impressive what I've seen so far at the club.
1: When I saw you outside yeah, I was just saying like, were you surprised because a lot of people when they come to Belle Park are quite surprised because they've got this image in their mind of Port Vale as being a bit you know lower league downtrodden and all the rest of it and when they get here and they see how big it is and you know the amount of work we've done on it on to it, 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 it can be really surprising.
0: Nice no, impressive and we're going to get into it but the first mm. question I ask All my guests is what is football to you a business or a sport and why
1: football is a sport um, and it is a sport that can be played by anybody um, absolutely anybody and it brings joy to everybody and I think well not to everybody but it can bring joy to everybody so football is a sport when you're in the industry football becomes a business so when you're in um, professional football you know, the words in the professional, it has to become a business then. So when I'm talking about Port Vale, I'm talking about the business. But our purpose within our business is sport. When I'm watching anybody else, it's sport. So it is, it is both. Um, but for the majority of the world, it is sport, and I don't think we should ever forget that it is sport. But it needs, it needs funding. It needs a well, well-run, sustainable business around it to make it successful particularly as you go up the professional pyramid
0: yeah and speaking about businesses, obviously prior to, to you coming into Port Vale, you, you obviously ran successfully a business alongside Kevin as well Synetics just, just sort of talk to me about what it was like running that business why you got into Port Vale and, and took, took over the club and the, sort of the learnings and experiences and things that you brought from that world into the football club
1: Yeah, Kevin and I met in 1979. Um, He was both in the computer industry, and he was sales, I was technical, technical support. We both worked for the same company in Birmingham, and we looked after large accounts. So our account was British Leyland, and in those days it had over 100 sites around the country, 750,000 employees. You know, I mean, we forget just, back in the the 80s, 70s, 80s, just how many employees these large companies had. And um, and it's relevant to football because it's around those big industries that football clubs very often grew. It was an important part of that industrial landscape because um, workers would work on a Saturday until 12 noon and then go to the pub, have their lunch, go to the football. That that is where to me that is where football's roots are but anyway back to me and Kevin Um, so we ended up um, where we had we got married we'd had two children at that point 1992 Kevin was working for a company selling large databases now in those days they were large now it would be a very small phone for the same amount that's just how much the technology has changed and um, we decided, the company he worked for had been taken over and we decided that we would actually have a go at running our own company and we were very keen, we'd learnt a lot during looking after um, British Leyland about people and about putting people in the centre of everything we did, um, that even if you were selling to Leyland you weren't, You were what well you were, but you were also selling to Tony or Martin or Jane or you know whoever the client was and that building that relationship with that person was what really helped to make you successful um, overall. And so we we set up our own business um, and that has grown, it was just the two of us to begin with, we've now got about 360 employees um, and we detect and prevent fraud and we work with banks, building societies, insurance companies, central and local government, Um, we're in a lot in the UK, we're in Canada, Um, but again it's just all been grown organically over the past 30 years. And then about eight years ago um, we had all of these staff and we were in three offices around Newcastle and De Yeah. and uh, we wanted everybody to go into one office and uh, I asked my daughter, who worked for us, and Claire Halkett, who is now the Ops Director at Vale, to go and find an office for us that everybody could fit into. And they came back and and I said to them, you look naughty, what have you done? And they said, we found the perfect office. And I said, well, hang on, if it's perfect, why do you look naughty? And they said, it's in Burslem. And I just went mad. I said, Why do we want to go to Burslow? I don't want to go to Burslow, you know. I mean, I don't want to go to Stoke. I was really sort of quite, I didn't know Stoke. There's nothing, there's no reason for it, except we were in you know Newcastle under lyme That's where we were. And they said, Look, just come and have a look. Um, we came on the next, that was the Thursday, we came on the Monday, looked round the building, which is next door to Vale. It was um, a co op supermarket. Co op made it into um, co op travel. So they made it into beautiful offices. And I said, Ah, oh, God, you're right. It, is beautiful, um, it was perfect for us. And we moved to Stoke, and then I fell in love with Stoke. I didn't wow. expect to, but you you got here, and where I was just saying about that industry, the industry around here was the pottery industry, the pits, the steelworks. In the eighties nineties, that was all stripped out. You know, it was Head of Dalton was, was in Burslow, Wedgwood was here, all the large um, pottery companies. And if you go, when you go around Burslem, it's one of the Stokes six towns. It, um, it's got its beautiful town hall, beautiful, beautiful architecture. And now it's got empty shops. You know, it's it's kind of derelict mm. to, to what it was. And it breaks your heart because you can you can see. I always say, well, you know, they, they ripped the heart out of Burslem, but they couldn't rip the soul out of it because mm. the people were still here the people around here are just brilliant I love them um, because they're really earthy and honest and you know where you are with them and so we've looked at this office we have got to buy this office and it's next door to Port Vale and I'd love football you know throughout my life and um, I'd been my mum had been the uh, secretary to the one of the Albion doctors back in the, that, yeah. yeah and so I used to go down as a 90 and 10 year old girl I used to walk down the Birmingham Road and go in the Brummie Road end on my own. I mean, I would not let a nine or 10 year yeah. old girl through these turnstiles, but I just used to go. If they played away on a Saturday, I'd go and catch the 79 bus, go and watch the Wolves, or i catch the 74 bus the other way, go and watch the Villa wow. on my own. Um, and then when I was at college, I um, was at Lincoln, and it was, I lodged with the woman who did the laundry for Lincoln City, and it was the time when Graham Taylor was there. Mm-hmm. and. Graham Taylor just turned this team into this machine that they broke the record for the number of records broken in a season. They were phenomenal. And you could see the effect in the city. So on a Saturday night, we'd all go to the, the, the discos, as they probably were called then, yeah. um, and we'd all be watching Match of the Day on the telly and, you know, it would be Lincoln City and we'd all be sort of, you know, it was just positive and, cheery and really good and I wanted to bring that here and so I started working with the community around here and I said to Kevin look if we really really want to help this area we'll go and make Port Vale successful and he said how I said I've no idea I have no idea at all but we'll go and we'll work it out and we're now just moving into our fifth season and we're working it out
0: no, that's awesome and, 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 you've, and you've done it in a way where obviously when you came obviously in 2019, building sustainably, getting back into League One, just sort of talk to me about what the culture of the football club was like at the time when you took over and how that's changed and shifted over time and what what is the vision for the football club?
1: When we came, so my predecessor, um, well it wasn't just my predecessor, um, it was the 20-25 years before we came, Port Vale had really been in disarray, had been in administration a couple of times. There was a lot of misrule, there was bad, bad or misguided owners. They weren't all bad, but I mean, they certainly weren't competent to the level that they needed to be. Um, And the Vale fans had really been treated quite appallingly. We are the smallest city in the country to have two professional football clubs. And of course, this was... The same time as I, we all call them, affectionately call them the noisy neighbours. Um, but you know, our neighbours down the road were going to the Premier League. They were they were doing amazingly, and it sort of highlighted even more that the the Vale were going through really sort of tough times. And we got here, and it had been stripped. It had been stripped of uh, well everything. There'd been no in, investment in the in the structure. Um, when we arrived um every as you know every football club has a sag a safety advisory group we had the first advisory group meeting and i said to my team just let them speak don't be defensive listen to what they say this is what we've got to you know find out what what is wrong with the place so we can put it on 45 minutes they went around that room of everything that was wrong i mean and there was so much and at the end, the, the chair of the SAG said to me, do you want to write a reply? And I says, yeah. And uh, my reply was, look, I, this didn't happen on our watch, number one, um, but it has happened and we accept it's happened or hasn't happened. And all I can do is say, the way that I run my main company, which is working in fraud, Yep. for the government, for you know, central and local government and all these banks and building societies is we are audited so often and compliance is in our DNA. You know, we don't fight compliance next door. We, it is there. Yep. And as we run this club, we won't fight compliance. You know, we want this, this stadium to be compliant, but it, you're going to have to work with us to get there because we're going to have to really understand what it needs, um, and then we're going to have to have a plan with you of putting it right, because I can't just, you know, wave a wand and it's okay. And they've been brilliant. And we now have a fantastic relationship with the SAG, and we've we've worked a lot on the structure, um, getting there was a, a lot of areas where... You can't see it. It's a bit like when you buy a house. Yeah. You know when you buy a house and you get it rewired and and you know, re- brick, yeah. and pointed and all the rest of it. Yeah. And you've spent a fortune. And then people come around and say, yeah, but what have you done? Because it's all, you can't see it. Yeah. And that's how it was here. And then last season we started to talk about doing a stand swap which was huge um, because as you get you know, from where we're, we're in one of the hospitality boxes now you can yeah. see that on the one side it's the by cars which was the um, home stand and then the other side called the Hamel road end was the away. Now that gave a security issue because it gave flashpoints for where fans crossed yeah. coming in and out. It um, The facilities in the, on the Hammer Road end are the best facilities in the in the whole stadium, so it meant our fans weren't getting that, um, and so we we did this huge exercise. Of of doing the swap, um, which overall has been incredibly successful. There's one or two diehards who I was going to
0: ask that. Yeah, yeah, how yeah. Taken that.
1: Well, I have this theory about football. My my youngest daughter did a degree in theological studies, philosophy and ethics, and she refers to football as being a faith based system. Mm and if you view it as a faith-based system, so if you sort of equate it to you know just Catholicism just so I can get the terms out um, with Catholicism you have your cradle Catholics who have always been a Catholic, just always, and it's part of their DNA. And you get the same with Vale fans. So, and you get it with every other club as well. It's not just Vale. So they came with their dad, their uncle, their whatever, you know. They but they've been here all their life. They are a Vale fan through and through and through. It's in their DNA. They can move. They can move to the other side of the world, and you can't leave. You can only lapse. It's a bit like Ho- Hotel California, you know. You can you can't can't leave it. You can only go um, and so it's the same for those fans but they don't want anything to change on the whole because Mm. that is that is their core that is really deep within them but then you need the converts you get converts like me who come in and say well why do we do this well what are we doing that for and you have to be so respectful to honor the 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 the, the cradle veil fans um so you can't do things like change the whole color of the strip like one club did you can't do that You know, I had a man had a real go at me a couple of seasons ago because we had a our kit was white with gold. We called ourselves Bale Madrid, you know, because yes. it was his car. Um, and he had his real go at me on kit launch day, and he says, there's no black on the kit. And I said, so? He said, there's got to be black on the kit. Yeah. Uh, because we'll get relegated if there's not black on the kit. And I said, well, technically, the washing instructions are written in black, so there, there is. Um, but... If we were to get promoted in this kit, would you like it? And he said, Yeah. I said, Well, it's not the kit then, is it? And I said, Yeah, you know, but this thing, we have to have black on the kit. And then when we were at Wembley getting promoted in our white and gold strip, and I thought, I wish I remembered who that man was, because I bet you loved it. If you're you're listening, get in touch, get in touch. Please let me know. Yeah, please let me know, because, you know, everybody then loved the kit, and kits are popular because, A, they're beautiful or they are associated to an event and that kit will always be our promotion winning kit always no matter what else we have um so you know but i am still respectful to that man that he thought there should be black in the kit the next year we put black in the kit just just talk
0: to me as well about that whole listing exercise that audit period of when, when you're coming into a football club because I've spoke to a couple of CEOs and owners about, about this whole question of the exercise of being, being definitive in your decision making, but in football, it's, you almost have to listen, listen maybe more than you listen in another business because, because of those diehard fans that you mentioned there. Just talk to me about the steps and processes that you, that you almost brought in when you first came into the club to listening, to really understanding those sort of needs and wants before implementing strategies
1: you have different areas that you have to look at yeah. one is the the fan base so what has the fan base been through and i said to my team look you people haven't prioritized them or really cared about them so we have to we have to be very mindful of that but then you also have the staff um and this is the same with any company that gets taken over that's been through the same sort of time as we did is that it produces a vacuum. And then people fill that vacuum um, with their, their own interpretation, their own views of what they want to do and how and how it works. And it, it, held, it holds together, but it's not optimal. And so you have to come in and then you start to implement change. And that isn't going to work for everybody. They're not going to want that. Yeah. You know, some do, some and and some will say when you first come in and say, "Oh, this is great. This is you know absolutely brilliant. I, I really want the change." But then when you get in, they don't. I describe it as they they want the change, but they don't want anything to be any different. <laughs> you know, and you know, then and for some. We just weren't the right club anymore we weren't the right organization for them to be with anymore, so we have had quite a turnover in staff. not everybody I mean some have said, "Wow, this is exactly what we need and want and you've watched them grow and flourish um but you do have to you for me um I was very clear what I wanted um from the club I wanted it to be community based and i but when we had lockdown we we all were we never shut down at lockdown. I always say i'm one of the ones that never decluttered and never made banana bread like everybody else <laughs> was because we worked every single day, and our kitchens here were producing a thousand meals a day at its prime, and we were delivering we delivered three hundred and fifty thousand meals around um, the the city and but at one point during the the year, the season that we played behind closed doors, um, I took a phone call one night at home, and again, I don't know who this person was, and uh, he just said to me, Carol, we're a football club, we're not an earthing food bank, fix it. And that's all he said. And I was sort of, wow. And I said, well, firstly, you're wrong, we are a food bank, and we are whatever our community needs to be. But... Thank you for your feedback on the football, you're absolutely right, we are going to fix it. Um, But it was such a good call for me because it was a wake-up call because it really showed me that it doesn't matter what you do in the community, it doesn't matter how you treat your staff, your players, your anything else, it doesn't matter if you aren't successful on the pitch, forget it. Because number one, you are a football club and you are here to provide the best football that you can Um, and the fans want it to produce points and be entertaining and so they, they are the two things that you are really pushing and then when we got to that it was right this is what we're about and now the whole club has to get behind that and for the whole club what are we all doing to make sure that we as a football club produce good football, not just from the first team, but through all of our teams, whether it's the academy, the foundation, the girls and women's teams that we are all producing good football that is entertaining and successful. Because I remember the, the morning of Wembley and I went for a walk with our manager, Daryl, was our manager then, and I remember saying to him, look Daryl, this has to be successful. The, the way we're running the club, you know, all about people and all the rest of it, has to be successful because otherwise it would just get dismissed as sort of mumbo jumbo yeah. and weak and woolly and, you know, don't be ridiculous. You can't run a football club like that. I said, it, it, we have to show that you can run a football club like this without compromising on the pitch. And we went and we, we won 3 0 and we got promoted, um, which was brilliant for me. But then you know, as I said to you just now, you know, the next thing was right, okay, we're now in League One, we now need to start to work to become championship ready because we have to stay on that trajectory. We have to, you know, it's not about, wow, we've made it to the heady hills of League One. Now let's just sit here for 20 years. It isn't. It's a, what can we do? And, and it's kind of taken that across the, the community, you know, why shouldn't we all be striving to go move forward, to get better, to be better? Um, whether you're an individual, a football club, a company, a family, whatever you are, this area should be on a positive upward trajectory because we've been low enough. We, we can't go any lower.
0: Yeah, and even just pulling on that, I love that quote, by the way, League One steady, championship ready. It, it rhymes as well, yeah. it, which is brilliant. Uh, just sort of talk to me about on the football operations side from the first team to the academy to the loans to the recruitment to any sort of data or... Sort of marginal gain that you're looking at. What are you sort of doing behind the scenes to try and make you championship
1: ready? The um, two year two and a half years ago now, I brought in a director of football. First time Vale had had one, yeah. uh, Dave Flipcroft. And it's quite interesting having a director of football. It's different. Um, and I said to him the other day, I said, "I'm I'm going to get you some new business cards." Um, fans scapegoat because <laughs> if it goes wrong if anything goes wrong it's all day flip-cross vault, you know or I'll get messages you know what are you doing Carol you know he doesn't know what he's talking about and and we you, know, you then have the recruitment that we've just had this summer which has been phenomenal and then we're doing incredibly well and I said you're not gonna get the praise you know you'll get the you know they'll come at you when it's going wrong but when it's going right you know nowhere to be seen sort of thing as far as the the feedbacks concerned so it is tough being a director of football yeah. um because what he but what he's done for me i mean he has been instrumental in taking the club to where it is on the football inside uh, he has worked with will Ryder. we brought will Ryder into for the academy and they have literally dismantled the academy and built it back up again. We sold a player, um, to, which is uh, well recorded, Michael, we sold him to Newcastle United. Um, we've got Premier League clubs now looking at players and we're beginning to become that trading model that we wanted to become so that you know, if you come to Port Vale, we're a, we're a category three we're okay about being a category 3 we yeah. want to be the best category 3 that we possibly can be um and we want to we want to be producing players um that are of a high standard so if you look at tuesday just gone we played um crew in the um EFL trophy and yeah. we had four scholars, four academy lads on there, two having their debut, two had already played before, and we had a first year um, pro from the academy. So from 11 players on the pitch, five were our own academy players, which is absolutely fantastic, that's that's what we want. And then the um, our first team manager, Andy Crosby, had spent the evening, the other uh, Monday, uh, at the academy watching the under nines all the way up to the to the under 16s to to see because we want that consistency we want that Hopefully, connection yeah. and so as much as we can in in every area we are connecting the club and connecting the club is really important to me is that the the first team the academy the foundation um the girls and women's that they that where we can we share resource um and and we share um intelligence and ideas and that we have um some continuity across it um but we also you know we're all aligned and that's really important to me that that we are aligned
0: yeah and i think alignment is certainly one of the key key words that we see see a lot here in football and just sort of talk to me about what would you say has been the biggest sort of challenge for you so far in the role
1: i think that um when you've got a good manager um, and they're good people and they're good managers because they've got a really good um, background and you know, the, a lot of success, when it starts to go wrong and it starts to go wrong on the pitch, yeah. and we've, I've had it twice, and it is really tough um, because you have, to, you have to make sure that every decision that you take is in the best in your view is in the best interest of the football club the football club is bigger than all of us and sometimes you know how do you how do you take a club through that and having dave here um last season was was absolutely amazing because we were able to do it together i didn't feel alone i felt quite alone the first time when it happened Um, but having two of us here and being able to really cut out the noise and look at what is the issue and how do we fix it
0: yeah i was gonna i was gonna actually ask about that cutting out the noise because Mm. in in those kind of difficult periods there's a lot of outside noise that's from the media from the fans and you're hearing different things about what you should and shouldn't do being able to make that sort of definitive decision is isn't isn't always easy
1: yeah i listened to i can't remember where it was I'm not 100% sure who it was who said it, but I thought it was amazing. Um, I think it was the CEO at Brighton. And he said that it's it's like going to a high court judge who's on a trial yeah. and say, make your decisions of you know innocence or guilt and sentencing based only on the news report in the sun and the, in the mirror. <laughs> Forget the 600-page tightly typed document um, report that you've got on the ins and outs of everything that's happened and all of the things that you know and only you know about this case forget all that just do the you know the newspaper reports and that's kind of what it's like with the fans is they base their decisions on a small piece of information very often inaccurate um, and from that, they'll they'll say not all of them, and you know I mean most fut- uh, football fans don't do this, but uh, you know, a number do. Will say right, that is the dis- that is the judgment, that is what you should do or you shouldn't do. And you're thinking, hang on, you don't know this 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 and this, and you can't know. I mean you know, fans have this you know, there's a whole debate about what should they know and what shouldn't they know, and yeah. what can they know and what can't they know. And there's an awful lot that you can't you can't know well, because it it can be you've got a duty of care to your staff and it might be going against that it might be not in the best interest of the football club for it to be said so you have to you have to look at it i tend to come off social media then because i don't think it serves me well and i don't think i serve it well at that point and i've seen Owners and execs in football clubs that get, you know are on social media at that time, they start arguing about it and I think, what are you doing? What are you doing? You know, because you you're moving away. I remember um, I was at home one day and um, I was reading this bit of these two Vale fans, and they were having a real go at me. This is I mean, a long, long time ago. And I was really quite upset about it, what they were saying. And my son, Patrick, said to me, mom, would you invite those two into the kitchen, in your own kitchen, to have a go at you without a right of reply? I said, no. He said, that's what you've just done. Standing in your kitchen, taking that in, that is exactly what you have done. And they are basing their decisions on, you know, a minute amount of information and a lot of emotion.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, Whereas, you know, so you have to be, You have to have the people that you can turn to that you can really trust. I I know you've had Liam Scully um, on one of your podcasts and um, I like Liam very much and he is one of the people within the football world that I turn to, you know, to just say, look, just just sanity check me on this (laughs) or just, what do you think? Am I getting this right? So you need to have those people within the football industry who you really trust and he's definitely one of mine.
0: No hundred percent. It's not one of my favourite parts of the show which I've dreaded this bit actually. What the footy line for, the guests love it. I, I usually get the answers wrong, so the the odds are in your favour, Carol.
1: I've really struggled on this. This is the two two, two honest true, two, two truths, truths one and, and one lie. And I'm not even sure what I'm gonna say as I'm about to say it, because 'cause I've really struggled It can
0: literally be anything. It,
1: um so one thing um I'm gonna have is Robbie Williams, you know Robbie Williams is... Yeah, yeah, I love is, Robbie Williams. Yeah, Angels, my yeah. so. um, He messages me after most matches, sometimes with a little song, but he messages me after most matches. That is number one. Number two is that promotion made us money as a, as a football club. Yeah. Um, and number three... Is that um, Port Vale has. Um, you, could
0: so the, you could have used the West hard. Brom one, but I always do my research. Yes. Yeah,
1: you no, know, I mean, I know you do your research, yeah. which is what is making this so hard because I've now got to try and say something that I've never said before or, yeah. or make something up that I've never made up before. When I was given an OBE, awarded an OBE, I thought it was a scam and told Prince Charles I thought it was a scam.
0: Do you know what it is that makes it so difficult when when people are kind of like half deal on the spot, then it kind of messes up my mind. So I'm going to say, the middle one. The promotion made you money. I'm going to say that's 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 true. I'm going to say the the Robbie Williams one is true. Oh, can't imagine. Can't imagine Robbie loving a voice doing a sing song, but um, I'm gonna say the first two are true, and I want I want to say you didn't say it was a scam because you you deserve it. So I'm gonna say the first two are true, and the last one's a lie, and we'll find that towards the end. Okay. We'll find that towards the end. But yeah, going back into it, Carol, some wider football business questions that I wanted to ask you. Mm-hmm. What's your views on obviously club valuations are really changing and shifting right now. We're seeing a lot more. U.S. investors, consortia, finance coming into the FL, various football clubs, celebrity investors coming in. What what sort of challenges does that sort of bring for the league and for, for a club like yourselves as Port Vale? Are you potentially looking at investors or or, or or looking to bring on more partners?
1: I think it's it shows the the change in football. When I go back to that you know industrial time um, yeah. of of football clubs and where they really came from their owners at that time would have been local business owners as well. I mean, you can virtually every football club in in this country will have had local business owners and now we're becoming less and less. Um, and that really concerns me because I think the, for me that, you know, we, we asked earlier, you know, is football a sport or a business? If you're buying into it and it is only a sport, that then that then skews the playing field, you know. And I think the playing field does get skewed now, um, where you get people who buy it for what they call you know a vanity projects because they just you know it's fun, they want to do it, um, or they do it because um, you know you get the they want it as part of their portfolio. Um, you know, there's now so many different reasons why people buy a football club. But the truth is somebody has to buy the football clubs. Yep. And if you, in an ideal world, you would still have the local industrial people buying them. But you ha- there, there aren't those people there. And a lot of people um, get concerned about doing it. And I think it has changed for people, particularly with social media, because you can put a lot of your own and your family's money into a football club. I mean, we saw a statement come out in the past week from Simon at Blackpool who was getting upset um, because he personally has put so much of his own his own personal wealth into Blackpool and some of the fans were then having a go because they got relegated they, you know, and they felt that they should know if he'd sold a player what he was doing with the money. Well, there's an argument that says it's his money, you know, it's really up to him. So there's... You can see why um, local people are going to be more reticent to to do that because you know you have to pay a lot of money to get abused in that way. You know, you yeah. do say is that the way you want to do it? Whereas when it becomes a business, you can say, well, then let's become a lot more sustainable if it's you know, um, distant investors and everything else. But the sacrifice that you make is that they then become detached from the fan base and the local community. So it's it's a balance that between the two, and I think football has to has to um, change and develop and grow and adapt to the changing landscape. But it certainly makes it harder. I mean, if you take Wrexham as a you know very well known example now, is that you know by putting the amount of money they did at um the national level you know in the national league you can more you can more or less buy success yeah. by just putting so much money in there people find that when they get to the EFL you can't do that it, cost it controls it, yeah. yeah cost controls there's a lot more which is you know which you want because you want it to be that you know, more more level playing field but it does start to skew like the player market you know, um, you know that when you've got clubs coming up that are paying a lot of money, um, then it can take your budget up. Um, whereas you're, you know, but your the, the level of player that you're getting can remain equal, but it's costing you more money to stay at the same. But that is the industry. You know, I, I'm not sitting here for a second advocating that it isn't like that. I think it's just recognising that that's what it is. Um, I'm pleased that we're, we've got the new media deal. The media, if I'm, you know, if, I don't know whether it's a question you're going to ask me, but yeah, if you're going to ask me what was, really yeah. hacks me off, um, what hacks me off is the media. Um, because they will take the Wrexhams, the Salfords, the, you know, the, the favourite sorts of clubs... Usually, that already have a lot of money and will put them on the TV a lot more than right. clubs that, you know, where the money's coming in um, at a, a lower rate and would actually benefit from that TV money. Um, mind you, when we have the TV, we usually lose because I say that our players usually go to the barbers, come back like show ponies, and, and that's <laughs> that, you know. so... <laughs> um, but, but it is the case, and I think, you know, if they did a really full analysis of which clubs are chosen, um, this will change next year because it has to be more even. And I'm so pleased about that because yeah. the, the inequality of um, media coverage, I think, is an issue within the... Yeah, I was
0: going to ask your views on the split because if I'm correct, the current media split is 80% championship, 12% league one, 8% league two. I know that obviously talks about with the new deal about changing those sorts of split and also you have the thing obviously in in, in League One whereby the the sort of uh, spend to turnover ratio is about 60% and for the clubs that jump, drop down in from the Championship is 75%. That's why a lot of the time you see a lot of the clubs that drop down into League One in the Championship end up in one or two seasons find their way back up there because they have the ability to spend more on players. What is your view in terms of all of these different splits and how they how they all sort of work and
1: I think that I think there is a lot of unintended consequences yeah. in football finance. You know, it's like the parachute payments coming down yeah. um, from the the Premier League. You can see why the Premier League would do that because they want to you know protect the the clubs that are are going down into the championship who would already have contracts on players now my argument would be that if you as a club haven't um included a relegation clause in your players contracts then you're not being very prudent um, because you have to you have to plan for success and failure and and i think for some teams they just get to the point where they think well you know, it, they just don't have it they just don't have it in their mindset that they're going to fail and yeah, 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 yeah you, you easily could <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we all easily could um, and you have to be ready for that um, but then when you put those clubs down into the championship um, with their parachute payments and then you've got the clubs coming up from League One where they have had a small amount of money so the, the move from League Two to League One is is I mean I had a, a bit of a moan to Rick Parry about this, and I said, look, I'm not really complaining because it's a problem of success, and I'm pleased with the success. But however, you don't get that much of a, an uplift going from two to one, yeah. where actually your your costs go up because you've got um, you've got you, you, you're playing against. I mean, like last year we had Ipswich on, yeah. on a huge. Um, Player budget and and you know there's this whole exercise on how much are you spending, what value are you getting per point for your money? Yeah. And when you look at the league, I was so pleased to see that Plymouth and I've got a lot of time for Plymouth and Simon and you know what they're they're doing at Plymouth. I think that I was really pleased that they actually were played their last game here and they became champions here. And we really helped them to celebrate it because I was so impressed. I think they are an exemplar and they are something that we should all be looking to do, which is be very prudent with your money um, and very very grown up, I think, yeah. in, in the way that they do. They, they look for succession planning. They, you know, they, they, there's a lot in there to, to learn from with Plymouth um, but then you'll get other clubs where they put a, a lot of money in they put a lot of money in in January but they they still get relegated Yeah, you know so it isn't just money yeah. um, money is a factor it's not the factor
0: it's about having the people as well yeah you know?
1: but it's, it's, it's the a, people it's, it's, it's the a
0: risk the reward club. as well sometimes
1: yeah but it's also you know you were asking me earlier about you know how do we sort of Work as as a club, and I know the fans take the mick out of um, Dave Flickcroft for his trust the process. Um, But then when we get it right, they go, "Oh darn it! I'm going to have to start believing in this process." But it is about the process. It is about this is how we will. This is how we will behave. Uh, This is how we will. uh, This is what we want to look like as a a, 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 as a playing team as a club, Um, and this is how much we will pay for it. And we've lost out on some players because they were asking silly money, um, which was silly to us. Um, We've just said no. um, no." But players who come to us will get paid well and they will get looked after um, as, as well as we can possibly look after them. So for us, this year we've got andy crosby he came at the beginning of the um transfer window when he got the job he said i want to have the most athletic cl- um, team yeah. and you know, preferably in the league but you know, as athletic as we can make them um, he had a very clear vision that he worked with um, dave on of how the team profile would look um, how they would play, how they would interact, um, and that we've put it together. So we've said no to some good players because personality-wise they wouldn't fit in, and we've said no to some good players because the style of their play wouldn't fit in, or so they were very clear, or they were very clear on who they wanted. And when I'd go and say, well, why do you want that player? It would invariably be because this is the way they play. This is the way they play with that other player. This is, you know, um, this is the, the depth we need in the squad. So we've gone for a smaller squad, but it's finely tuned. They know exactly what they, they want. And that's what we're looking for. That's what I call more of the Plymouth style. Whereas you know exactly what you're, you're going for. Um, your recruitment team, we've got we've got a Tommy and a Tom. We tend to pair up on names in Um and they they know the market incredibly well. They use data, um, and they they know the data that is needed to fit in with us, which might not be how it would fit in into another club.
0: Well, wow, yeah, mm. and, and and for you, especially, it's about having given them the trust and the remit to 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 sort of run with that and own that and, and reporting to you, and obviously liaise with you in terms of when those decisions then need to be sort of finalised
1: yeah I'm a a lot more on the people side and for me it is making sure that the player is okay that the family is okay we've got boardroom upstairs for match days um, which holds 60 people.
0: Which is great by the way. Yeah thank you,
1: I'm really pleased with it and at least one of those tables for every match is first team so we have the family of one of the first team squad up there. Um, I know the families of all of our players, probably not all the new ones as well as I want to know them yet but I I know them pretty well. for me, it's really important in bringing some of my my leadership experience, my business experience. That's what I contribute to the to the group. If you like, I haven't got a clue about you know whether we should have number nines doing this or up the channels or around yeah. the wings or whatever. I mean, that's not my bag, and it won't be my bag. Um, but as far as so, if you take our first game of this season. We lost. We got a drumming of seven 0 to Barnsley, and I couldn't feel upset about it. I'm, I'm in the I'm watching it in the directors box, and I'm saying to my son, "I can't, I can't get myself to be in a in a bad state about this." You know, yeah. I mean, I should do because on the surface we've just had a drubbing, and it was quite funny because as I was leaving the the stadium, Liam Scully rang me, yeah. and he says. Oh, I'm just phoning to empathise. I said, why? What's happened to you? And he <laughs> says, we've just lost 3-0 to Bolton. I says, that's not a drubbing. 7 nils a drubbing, you know, yeah. come on. Um, so, but I kept saying, it's it's the best possible thing. It's, and I don't know why. Yeah. And I sent, um, on our WhatsApp group, I sent a message to um, Dave, Flitcroft and Andy Crosby. And it was, um, I can't remember the verbatim for beta, but it's um Alex Ferguson mm. who said it's how we deal with defeat or more importantly, how a leader deals with defeat which defines whether they're a winner. Yeah. And I just put we're all leaders, now let's show how we're all winners. Yeah. And that was it. Um and there wasn't and and on the Tuesday I saw Conor Ripley, our goalkeeper who'd just done two worldly saves to keep us in the cup. And uh, I saw him afterwards, and I said about Saturday, I said, you know, Conor, I just, I, I couldn't feel negative about it. I said, you know, I gave Crosser a hug. He said, I know. He said, we were all on the on the team coach looking across. He says, and there was you. And we said, what on earth, what other club have you been to where you've just lost 7-0 and the owner gives the manager a hug? He says, and you gave the goalkeeping coach a hug. I said, I know. I know because I just could not feel negative about it and he said but nobody has shouted at us nobody's had a major go at us it's just been right okay let's look at that that's
0: long-term, yeah.
1: long-term view I have said to him all you only get to play one seven nil card you've played it don't think there's another <laughs> um you know but and then I bumped into some fans the other day and uh, one of them said to me we're I'm one of the the group that you bumped.'" That you saw on the service station on the way back from Barnsley and uh, and they uh, had and this group of fans had said look I know you're having a bad day but could we have a photograph of it? go on then and uh, he said and you kept saying to us just trust it it's okay you know, that don't read anything into what's just happened except that will really steer us on to doing you know, what we need to do it will be fine just trust it he said and you were absolutely right and and I just had that faith at that time that it was absolutely right. And touch wood, we haven't lost since. Yeah. You know, we've had a, an amazing. I mean, how Andy Crosby hasn't just got manager of the month? I have no idea. Um, because there's not man, many managers who could have done that. Who could have taken um, a squad from seven nil down to, and that is that is, um, you know, for me that is a big thing that defines Port Vale, is that okay you know life throws you curve balls but we all curve together yet then you know when you get it 100 no, you know, percent, you carry on
0: and then the, the sort of the f- sort of penultimate question i sort of have for you is how do we fix this issue around the distribution of wealth obviously we know that the efl clubs need more support financially there's different ideas that are floating around no fair game have looked have a ten percent transfer levy. We recently just see, saw the Premier League transfer window record being being broken again. there's obviously I think I spoke to you earlier about conversations and proposals and ideas being floated around about the economics of the loan system and clubs in the EFL that help to support obviously developing players. You then go go back to their parent club and then maybe get sold eventually. Them sort of being compensated for that. How do we fix these issues around the distribution of wealth?
1: I think, you know, I mean, even within the examples that you've just mentioned there, this is a many faceted issue. Yeah. It, isn't a, it isn't a single a single point um, issue on it. So let's just take the loan market, because I know that's a subject that you, know, you and I talked about just before we came on air. Yeah. Um, and it's one that I'm really keen about. In the past, we have, uh, at Port Vale, we have taken loan players, and some good loan players. I'm not knocking them as, as players for a second. But we have taken many loan players where the parent club has hasn't really got them in their plans long term and wants to get them out on loan so that they can recoup some of the finance and what have you said so, so are they a player of a large of you know a high league club um yes yeah. but are they of a really high level not necessarily um and what we've done this year is really tried to understand. So our recruitment team's done so much work on the academies of the, of the higher leagues and so the under-20s, under-21s, so that sort of thing. So we really targeted um, Premier and Championship clubs where they have got an asset that they want to develop. Yeah. And we went in and pitched, we will be part of developing your asset. Um, and we got four and three of them this week are an international call-up and the other one would have been with Northern Ireland if he hadn't had an injury um, a few weeks ago, Um, but he's of the standard. So we have got, for their age group, four international standard players playing for Port Vale for this season. Now, when they go, and I refer to them as like foster kids, you know, they come to us, we look after them as if they're our own, whilst always knowing that they're not our own. That they have their 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 own their own club, um, and what we have looked to do is to work with that club to say, okay, what is it that you want for this this player, and how can we help you to produce that? Yeah. Now, what we are getting is. I mean, just on a salary point of view, they're getting a lot more than our players because they're playing up at that level. But we don't pay all that. We pay a contribution to the the home club. So that, to me, is distributing wealth. That means that for this season, I'm getting four players of a really high standard for a really good price. Um, And it's up to us to make sure that we capitalise on that. This this year, and you've seen it. You've seen it in, in the you know, league world well, All sorts of clubs yeah. capitalising on their loan players and really getting some value from them, and that's where you get your value. You know, it's the because you haven't invested. That in fact, if anything, you benefited from it. It's the home clubs that have invested, and and they've probably been there for years. You know, in their academies or what have you. So I don't have any arms really that they then go back and then they might get sold for however many million um later on and that the home club keep all that we've been part of that journey and i'm proud that we're part of that journey and by the time they're getting sold i hope we're part of somebody else's journey so but you only want a part of your squad doing that yeah um and then you want to be replicated that with your own which is what we mentioned earlier bringing your own academy um and looks through um, and bringing in young, the young as I always call it, so bringing in the young that you can really invest in um, and then you're growing your own trading model at the time. So what Dave Flitcroft and the um, recruitment team look to do is to balance not only skill sets but um, experience with youth with you know um, lone players so you've got a big balance in that because you'll see some teams where they're all very experienced they've just gone for experience because it's safe so they've gone for experience and the average age will be you know, really quite high, we deliberately set to bringing our squad average age down. That was a thing that we we wanted to do. But we wanted to make sure that we had experience in there, but that our experience were leaders, were growers that would help the younger ones to grow. So bringing in people like Ryan Lowe, for example, um, you know, we brought him in because... He is one that is really good on the pitch, but he's really good off the pitch as well and the, the, the younger players respond to him, he likes that sort of you know, mentor type role, um, so that's what you're looking for is that your elder your ones, are, your experienced ones are there to help the younger ones grow. And that's how it all sort of ties in together.
0: One hundred percent. You could go back and give yourself advice when you started synetics and when you started Port Vale, and A and a B there. What would you go back and tell yourself?
1: I think that I think when I started synetics, and this was me. This wasn't Kevin, and this wasn't anybody else. Yeah. This was me. I think that I I allowed I um, allowed myself, or I put myself sort of behind Kevin rather than next to him and I think that women very yeah. often do that and don't forget this was 1992 so I mean the world has changed a lot in in that time I think if I'd have been doing it again I would have been a lot more up front and centre than I was and I'm saying I'm not having to go at anybody else it was 100% me that did it and I think part of that was my lack of I had confidence, but I didn't have belief. Um, and I think as I've gone on, I've grown more and more belief in myself. What would I say to myself, um, be braver earlier? Yeah.
0: Hmm. And even just building on, on, on what you mentioned there, like how can we almost push and and encourage and, and, and have more sort of female senior leaders within football know, obviously, yourself being sort of a leading figure, being an owner and, and, and a chair of a football club, obviously Debbie at Grims, Biano, Sarah obviously at Harrogate as well. Mm. How can you sort of push push this more and, and sort of drive drive more, more sort of change?
1: I think we had to, when we first bought the club, to yeah. begin with, Kevin and I were co-chairs and Rob, who's been with us for the 30 years, he's our finance director at yeah. Synecdox and he's been working with us at Vale and after a few months he said, Kevin, you're going to have to step down. Yeah, He said, because whilst you are co-chairs to the world, it's, it is, you are the chair and Carol is there. Whereas actually Carol is doing the work and you're not, yeah. you know, um, and the only way that she can have that, that recognition of who is doing it is by you stepping back. And yeah. to be fair, I mean, Kevin said straight away, yeah, I get that. Yeah. Um, and, he, and he stepped back. And um, so f- that was really important for me. Yeah. Um and I think that, I think that the, the clubs that have got women in, them, I mean, like De- De- Debbie, I love it to pieces. Absolutely. And I think that what she, what she has done at Grimsby, um, and I think what women do overall is bring a great humanity into the into the into the sport, and and just a, a sort of a grounding, sort of, well, stop, hang on a minute, let's let's have a look at it as people. We're a lot more people based. Um, and and what do we do I think we we keep encouraging it I'm interested to see where the women's game goes yeah. um, I'm concerned about where the women's game is going um, and I think that we've got to keep building this momentum around the the girls and women's um, and whole game and bringing money in equitably yeah. and my concern is that there's a lot wrong with the men's um, pyramid because it's too top-heavy financially, um, and that we might be building a pyramid to replicate yeah. that, and we're replicating the errors and the problems, and so that is a, a little bit of a concern for me in the in the women's um, yeah. team. But I think overall getting more women in and getting women getting more women into the stands i think that's important yeah. i've got quite I i don't know whether some of the blokes are horrified but we've got quite a lot more of the wives coming in now who mm. said you know i've always stayed at home but actually i'm coming now and i'm really loving it you know yeah. and so that's what i'm really trying to do is to bring women and bring families into the into the stadium and i think that's where that's the start point is changing the landscape of your fan base. So our fan base, we need our fan base and we want our fan base to grow. I'm not interested in converting fans of other clubs into being Vale fans. If you want to be, then come and be. I'm a lot more interested in creating Vale um, football fans from people who don't currently see the benefit of it. Um, So for me, we're not multicultural enough um, and we're in a very multicultural city. Um, our fan base isn't, um, so it's really going out there and showing people that this is um, this is something. We are now bringing them in in the community areas, but I want to be bringing them in to the to the stadium. So doing that, bringing women in, bringing the young in, you know, just bringing everybody in. It has to become more and more and more inclusive.
0: Uh, Carol for And being, then what about my lie? And you, oh, your lie as well. Do you know what is, I just know that I've got it wrong? I always do this fair
1: You tried to duck that one. Yeah. are not going to duck it. Which
0: one's the lie? Oh, uh, Carol, I said that the, the last one was a lie. So the ones, the, ones that, the ones that are true for me were Robbie Williams texted you after every game. That's correct, mm-hmm. I believe. And that you made money on promotion. And then the lie was... Um, you saying that your own oh, that's what, yeah, yeah. Yeah,
1: you're absolutely right. That That is what you said, but mm. you're absolutely wrong. I'm wrong, okay. You are wrong. Robbie does text me after yeah. most matches and he does send me a song. Oh wow. The other week he sent me, um, what was it? Seven nil down to six in the league, seven nil down to six in the league. Na 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 And that's all you got. That was it. <laughs> oh, so, so he,
0: he just sings and creates new songs and you send, yeah. send it, to you. Oh wow. Amazing. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, I get that. Um, I, I love him to pieces. I really do. He's, yeah, he's, he's so good. Um, and I, think my OBE was a scam and I did tell um, Prince Charles when I was getting my OBE at Windsor Castle and he said "Um, how did you feel when you found out that you got an OBE I said to be honest sir I thought it was a scam I was looking on the email for where you to send the money and he said well you do have the (laughs) scam but I promise you this is real and I said, yeah "Yeah, I kind of got that I'm studying (laughs) this in Windsor Castle and Prince Charles or King Charles as he is now loves this area Um, and it was really quite strange because it was was a, a December morning I was getting this in Winter Castle and I said to him oh I was thinking about you the other day so I said because I was down at Middleport Pottery so there's a pottery okay. company down the road here that he uh, took a lot of interest in renovating and I said "Oh, I was down at Middleport Pottery and I know you like it I was thinking about you and he says to me oh yes, he says, it's marvellous, you, know, you know, they do all the, the graduate work, and I said, oh yeah, there was the graduate show, and the great pottery throwdown, and I said, yeah, yeah, it used to be there. He says, and tell me, do you go in the cafe? It's a marvellous little cafe, and i was sat there thinking, what am I doing? I'm, I'm here in Windsor Castle, talking to the future king of England yeah. about the cafe at Middleport <laughs> Pottery. <laughs> so no, that was, you know, I did think it was a scam, I honestly did, and we lost about a million and a half on promotion. Uh. Yeah, it's a very, very expensive business to get promoted at a league two to league one. So that was my line.
0: Okay. Yeah, and I believe we've alluded to it so far, but the final question yeah. is what the footy needs to change or happen within your space? Within the football industry, within at the owner level, at the senior leadership level? Well,
1: it has to change. It has to be the financial distribution, doesn't it? Yeah. It has to be. Um, because you know it isn't you can't run an industry like this on the goodwill of a few um it it has to it has to be that if you are run well you're rewarded for it Mm -hmm. yeah so i would i would say that and i would always throw community in as well because i just think more and more and more We've got to be using the um, football clubs for the community, and I'm honoured to be on the EFLT board. Absolutely honoured, um, because all 92 clubs do so much for their local communities, and that's the growth for me.
0: I found her in Carol because uh, no, Carol was great. Great banter. Thank you so much <laughs> for your time. Obviously, you inviting me down to the club as well. Absolute pleasure. Thank you. Uh,
1: you have to come to a, a match next time.
0: No, I will do. I will... Thank you for listening. I hope you loved it, and if you did. Give the pod a follow and a five star review, and tell a friend to tell a friend. Let's go. What the footy? What the three? What the footy? What the footy? Knew some other liked me, but I didn't know it was to that Imagine extent. have being a kid in primary school, nice and putting Powerful people, and I think they need to recognise that, but then also they need to be represented the Football right way. Sport in general is nothing without fans. Uh, based on, you know
1: a source of revenue alone that being the tv deal
0: so winning well the league let's just win this to appease the fan